I look back and in many in many of the steps of my career, I was grinding so hard and I was trying to be so ambitious to get to the next level that I didn't really enjoy those moments. And as my career progressed, I started enjoying them more and more and more. Um, and and that's when things really came fell into place uh, and I didn't force them into place. So I would say, yeah, trust the process and 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 don't don't always try to be, you know, the one that knows it all. It's impossible to be that person. Welcome to the Hospitality Mentor Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Turk. Join me as we dive into the personal stories of some of the world's best hospitality professionals. We follow the journey of their ups, downs, and wild turns to find out what it truly takes to make it in the amazing world of hospitality. This episode is brought to you by our podcast partners at Real-Time Reservation. Their inventory management system is best in class for hotels and resorts to manage their non-room inventory. The web-based application allows for creative upselling of overnight and daytime visitors with add-ons and pre-planned packages. Hotel guests and non-guests can reserve cabanas, pool chairs, activities, amenities, excursions, events, day passes, and much more. The real-time reservation platform offers a fully integrated pre-arrival portal where guests are verified through the property management system. Guests can prepay for cabanas and activities through credit card integrations, which are then processed through point of sale. All of our listeners that might be interested in using real-time reservation are welcome to explore the demo at realtimereservation.com. Once again, that's realtimereservation.com. Welcome to another episode of the Hospitality Mentor Podcast. Today, I'm excited to have my friend David Araya, the general manager of Six Senses Hotel Ibiza. David, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks, Steve. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Well, David, let's jump right into it. What was your first job in hospitality? My first job in hospitality uh, was a bartender. I was uh, in the south of France. I had just uh, left high school and um, I was looking for a way out of Bolivia where I grew up. Uh, my parents couldn't afford to send me to college in the U.S. like the majority of the of the kids that I'd grown up with in the American school. And so, um, you know, looking for different alternatives, I, I ended up landing a cultural exchange program in the south of France. And uh, my two requirements were to be by the ocean growing up in a, in a landlocked country and being in a job where I could be with a lot of people and interacting, um, being the extrovert that I was. And so I landed uh, in the south of France as a bartender in a, in a beautiful uh, resort, a club med style type of offering in the south of France. Um, and that was my first job. Fell in I, love with the industry and haven't turned back. How old were you then? You were in high school? So like 18? I, yeah, 18. I just turned 18, actually. That's amazing. So how was that conversation with your family where you're like, hey, I'm heading to the south of France. I'll see you all later. To be a I think it was, it was actually very collaborative. I think they were just as happy to have me go than for me to go and venture new things as well. So that's awesome. And so at 18, had you bartended before? I assume not. Never. I mean, uh, I grew up in, in South America. You grew up uh, rather early, right? And so I'd had yeah. my fair share of drinks, but but not in, uh, you know, not not taking control of a bar, you know, and particularly in the south of France, you know, they're very, very, um, you know, they're very serious about their uh, pre-dinner drinks, their aperitif. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, I, the pressure was on from day one. That's awesome. And so you were there 
And what happens? Do you stay there? Do you stay there a long time? How long were you there? Yeah, so I was there for a year and a half, uh, and I uh, it was again a cultural exchange program. And so what I did is, uh, you know, I started in the bar, but then I started taking up other roles within the resort. Uh, being a seasonal resort, for example, during the summer, I was full on between you know bartending, serving, and then I started jumping into everything that was more uh, experiences related. So the different activities, karaoke night, and you know taking the kids on tours to the museums and things like that. Um, and then during the winter months, I, I did all the preventative maintenance and, you know, all the, all the painting and all this. So I did a little bit of everything and, uh, it was a great introduction to hospitality and it truly was the reason why I fell in love with it. I love those stories. And, co- and coming from Bolivia, did you, you didn't know French, did you? No, 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 no. I spoke very little, I, you know, whatever you learn in, in, in a few weeks, uh, you know, right before you know you're going to move to France. <laughs> so we've talked to really some other chefs that land in France and then they take advantage of, oh, here's the foreigner. We give them all the hard jobs. Was that like that for you too? Yeah, that's right. You know, when they see every, when the only thing you, you can say is we, you know, yeah. then, they, you know, they're like, let me ask him anything. And he'll say yes. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good trick. All right, good. So you're, you're there for a year and a half. What happens next? Uh, so then, you know, I realized that I wanted to that I wanted to study hospitality uh, and that I was in love with the, with the industry. Didn't know what I wear and how and everything. So I went back to Bolivia as part of this cultural exchange program. I had to go back and kind of share all the knowledge I acquired from living in a different culture for the next batch of people that would come for the for the next year. But then I I knew I was laser focused on on uh, you know getting a scholarship and getting up to the states and and I did that fortunately through through playing soccer. Um, so I played soccer all, all my, my high school years and growing up through my childhood. And I was able to get a, a great scholarship that landed me in South Carolina, of all places, uh, where I went to Winthrop University and, and, and played on a full scholarship. And at the same time, started venturing into more roles that were more uh, hospitality related. And so I did a bartending job. And then I, as part of my program in, at Winthrop, I had to do a practice. And I decided to do that in a country club in, in North Carolina. Um, and so, uh, every summer I, I took a different job and I moved to, um, uh, to New York city, uh, to, to do a two month, uh, gig in, in a restaurant. And so it was a pretty broad variety of, of hospitality roles that I did. Um, always knowing that I wanted to end up, you know, in, in a hotel and, and in a resort environment in particular. Um, but yeah, that was kind of what I did through, through high through college. And then my last year of college. I, I didn't get to play soccer anymore uh, due to NCAA eligibility. Um, so I needed to figure out housing, um, which was not included in, in my scholarship for my last year. They gave me my tuition, um, but they said, you need to figure out something for housing. So I said, I have one of two options. Either I, I couch surf for a whole year yeah. uh, or I find a girlfriend. And it was one of the two. Um, <laughs> fortunately, I didn't have to do either of the two because I... I Ended up uh, becoming the manager of the of the hotels, um, hotel of the you know sorry of the of the university's hotel. So oh I wow! Up, yeah, so the university had a twelve room hotel, and uh, you know by then everybody in the university knew that I was you know super passionate about being a hotel GM and living all over the world, and I was you know preaching my story everywhere. And uh, the 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 fortunately the the person that was in charge of the of the hotel reached out and said, Hey, listen, we've got this vacancy. Would you like to, would you like to come and take it? Uh, which meant that I could live in the hotel. I could work full time. I could be a manager right off the bat and, uh, gain some great experience. And so it led me to leave university 
with a manager title already, which was, I think, probably the biggest, um, Big. most impactful thing in my career for sure. That's awesome. So when you were at Winthrop, you went there for to play soccer, but did, was it also a hospitality school or was that just something yeah, kind of? Well, yeah, they had an international, I, I had an international business degree, but it also had a hospitality degree as well. Um, and so I, I did with both of them. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of the best like real world experience stories I've heard is just like you're hopping in while you're doing it. I love it. That's awesome. And so you're there. When do you head back kind of to New York? Right after that. So, you know, by then I, I knew, you know, if, I, if I'm going to make it big, nowhere like New York to do that. And so I, again, I'm, I'm very laser focused on things that I want. I was like, there's nothing stopping me from going to New York. Um, and so that's uh, when, when my now wife, but at that point, my girlfriend and I uh, took a U-Haul and drove it up to New York from South Carolina. And uh, we started looking for jobs, you know, and I was applying for anything and everything that would stick. You know, I, I, this was during the beginning of hcareers.com. And, you know, it, it's funny because years later, I look back at the type of jobs that I applied for at the time, because you can see all your saved searches and ser saved applications. And I was going for anything that would get me into a hotel, you know, from, uh, you know, stewarding all the way up to like director of rooms, not having a clue <laughs> what I was doing. And, yeah. uh, and, uh, you know, I got lucky because, um, I got called by, um, by a small boutique hotel that was looking for an assistant front office manager. Mm -hmm. And I, I really wanted a management position, but I was thinking, right. to myself, you know, I either go for the smaller hotel manager position, or I'm okay with coming in as a front desk agent mm -hmm. or a rooms controller or whatever it is, um, at, at a line level in, in a nice, big established hotel, because that's where I wanted to end up, you know? And I remember I went to probably 30 interviews in New York and um, it was finally this small boutique hotel that, that said, hey, why don't you come in, assistant front office manager? Um, and I thought, you know, this is it. This is the beginning of my career. And, and, and that's what it was. So you walked in, you did, I could like picture like a movie, like you hit 30 interviews, like you're in the rain, it's not going well. Yeah, what yeah. Was it like, all right, totally. I keep going. <laughs> No, totally. We moved to New York and for my career and, and then my girlfriend gets a job in like five days. And she's like sustaining <laughs> me for the first two months, you know, <laughs> here I am this hotshot that's going to, you know, have this awesome career. But in the beginning, but that's also New York for you, you know, New York teaches you lessons without you knowing that it's teaching you lessons. And so it was part of what I needed to go through to appreciate the job that I got at that time, you know, and so, um, yeah, and so I finally walked into City Club Hotel where I worked in my first hospitality, true hospitality job as a professional graduate, mm -hmm. uh, and I was an assistant for an office manager there. And then, you know, you're there, you hang out for a little bit, but then you make a jump to the Taj Hotels, which is yeah. ultra luxury. You haven't really worked in that. Maybe you did in Southern France, but this in the U.S. is one of the top brands, would you no, say? No, totally right? different. Yeah, for sure. So basically what I wanted originally, you know, when I envisioned, closed my eyes and envisioned me applying for all the positions was that, right? Just, you know, like if you look at like Home Alone, you know, in that position, um, the guy with the double-breasted <laughs> That's yeah. what I envisioned. That's what a, hot, a, a hotel manager was, you know? And so, uh -huh. um, so that's what I thought that I wanted. And, uh, and so when I was, I, I actually, one of the people that I had interviewed for, uh, for another role, who was the director of rooms at the peninsula at the time, ended up becoming a, a good friend, um, through the interview process. And I told him, listen, I took this assistant front office manager position. So, you know, thank you, but I'm not going to join the peninsula at this time as a front desk agent. Um, listen, we'll, we get together every Thursday, a bunch of us, and we just have drinks after work. Why don't you, you know, come over and, and let's have drinks one day and you can meet some of the other people in the neighborhood, you know? And so I did that. 
And uh, through that networking session, I met uh, the director of rooms at the Pierre at the time. And um, she said, listen, we're looking for somebody in front office as well. We're about to open the hotel. So we just transitioned from Four Seasons into Taj. Are you interested? And uh, I remember looking at my friend, my friend looking at me, and he just kind of said, you've got to yeah. do this, you know? Yeah. And so, uh, so then, you know, I remember calling my wife and saying, hey, change of plans, which is something that has become a constant in my career, you know, that phone call. Um, and and I, the next thing I knew, I was wearing that double-breasted suit and thick tie, and I was working, uh, you know, uh, right right across from Central Park in, in one of the most kind of coveted addre addresses in hospitality. So. And what was that like? Because for a lot of people, they don't understand maybe the jump from, you know, like a nice hotel to a true five-star, five-dime experience. What was that like for you when you first walked in? It was intense, for sure. You know, so when I got there, we were opening the hotel. Uh, and so there was nobody, I shouldn't say nobody because we had a few residents that lived there for, you know, full year, but the, just this expectation of excellence all the time just permeates from every minute, from the moment you walk in to the moment you walk out, you're just fully on, you know, and, uh, and there's no room for, for errors or mistakes and everything is just analyzed, you know, and scrutinized so deeply. Um, and it gets ingrained in you, it gets ingrained in you, you know, and there's people that can either thrive off of that. And then there's others that just fall off because the pressure is, is, is so high. Yeah, it's true, you know, but that's why you create such special moments there. You have such high performers there. They strive for that. And like we were talking earlier, it's, it's an addiction. You get these dopamine hits, hits every time you, you do something like that for somebody. Right. That's right. Um, but you're there. And then you, again, I think this, we're going to have this, like you said, you make a move that I'm excited yeah. to hear about and you come down to Miami beach. Miami. Yeah. So what happened was, you know, I, I realized in, in New York, I was, I was grinding and I was hustling and, you know, you're on the subway and then you're cranking the long hour. We opened the hotel and I, I got married right in between. And so I, I got married two days before the opening of the hotel. So I, I never had to, you know, the opportunity to go on, on a honeymoon because we were opening. Um, I actually still owe my wife that honeymoon, by the way. <laughs> um, and, uh, so, you know, it was, it was hustle. It was what it was, you know? And, um, I would get home exhausted. I wasn't eating well. I was just because I was just working really, really long hours and hard hours. And so um, I remember one day my wife just looked at me and she said, hey, are you all right? You know, like th this seems like it's it's really grinding you down, you know? And I said, yeah, no, I'm fine. I'm fine, you know? And, and uh, two days later, I'm having a conversation with, with my director of rooms, the person that hires me. And she says to me, David, I don't know if this is the right hotel for you, you know? And she says, like, I, I don't know if like when you put that suit on, it seems like it's heavy on you and it doesn't seem like you're yourself and like you've kind of become more serious than what you were before and you're unsure of yourself. And and her that conversation that I had with her, you know, I remember clearly when she said, you know, out there, and she meant there in the streets of New York, there are hundreds of other hotels and there are hundreds of other brands. and not every brand is for what one person for each person, you know? And so you should really think about what you want to do and, and think about whether this is the right place for you, you know? Um, because there are other brands where I think you could be yourself and you could enjoy yourself much more. And that was probably one of the best pieces of advice that I ever got, you know? And it's something that has driven my career um, because I've continued searching for what that right brand was and the right group of people and the right type of clientele and everything. Right. And so that's when I decided it's time to make a move. Right. And, uh, and that's when I ended up leaving 
New York. We ended up leaving New York. We wanted to start a family and uh, Miami came around. I, I got a phone call from from someone at Fountain Blue and uh, saying, hey, we've got this opportunity. The experience that you've acquired in New York is exactly what we're looking for. We're looking to really beef up the service in two of the four towers at Fountain Blue and the two residential towers. So we need somebody that understands residential ownership, um, but at the same time that understands five-star service and can really help us elevate. Um, and so when that happened, you know, we were again, packing up a U-Haul and driving all the way back down to, to, to Miami. So that's amazing. And, you know, I want to go back to that leader of yours, cause they could have delivered that message in a completely different way and crushed you, right? Totally. It's like, you're, you're out, right? Totally. Instead of the way they did. Totally. And, you and, continued and we're still friends, you know, and we still, you know, we still follow each other's careers. And, and I have several times throughout my career called her to thank her and, and I had conversations to thank her for, for, for what she did for me, you know, and, and it's something that I've taken on to other leaders as well and to saying, Hey, maybe this is not the right place for you. You know, mm -hmm. listen, so now you're in Miami beach, you're at the, what they say the iconic Fontainebleau hotel, 1500 yeah. rooms, mega resort, you know, the place that really built up Miami beach. What was it like working there? Oh, it was a blast. It was a blast. You know, I, I, if you think that, you know, uh, the Pierre was not who I was, you know, I think I landed in a place that was very much who I was at the time. You know, I was young, I was vibrant. I was, you know, full of energy, uh, open-minded to everything. And that's what Fountain Blue is, you know, mm -hmm. that even though it's a classic. It, it just, it's the mo probably one of the most relevant classic concepts that exist. You know, every day it reinvents itself and it molds to what's happening and stays cool and hip. And so it was an amazing experience. I spent almost five years there. And, you know, sometimes you have these, these uh, moments in your career that are trampoline moments, you know, and for me, that Fountain Blue was a trampoline moment for me because in four years, I had five different positions. And um, because I was open-minded and open to doing a, a little bit of everything, you know, they moved me into different areas and operations. And, and uh, I was able to see so much, so much and to learn so much as well. And so would you tell people like, you know, going into that hotel is mega. It's big. It's 1,500 rooms. The only other kind of places like that are casino hotels, right? right? Vegas and, yeah, exactly. Do you think that was something that really helped you being in that kind of volume to understand how to deal with volume and that many people every day? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think it, it taught me that even though you're dealing with volume, at the end of the day, the hospitality business at its core is it about, at about, it's about the exact same things. Right? It's about human connection. It's about how you listen. Uh, it's about how you can take someone's experience and with with a simple conversation or with a simple act, completely turn the turn it around for them and turn it into something that they'll never forget. And you can do that with fifteen hundred rooms, and you can do that with seventy five rooms, all in different ways. But at the end of the day, it's all the same, right? Um, but it it also taught me that you know it, it's okay not being for everyone, you know, it's okay to be who you are, you know, and some people will love you, some people won't love you, but it's who you are, you know, and so it's okay to be that way. And that's what that hotel taught me, right? Fountain Blue is what it is. And you know what, it, it creates an experience for the people that love that experience. And for the ones that don't, guess what, they're okay with that, you know, and, that, and I think that that's really powerful. I love it. And you're the fourth person on the podcast that has been through the doors working there. Yeah. So it's created so many great leaders uh, that hotel. So it's, it's just it incredible to see it keep going. But it now I'm, I'm very curious about this and you've got a great wife I can see now. 
right? Because she's been along the journey with you. What's her name? We got to give her a shout out. Her name is Jessica. And she's All right. yeah. Jessica, shout out to you because now you're at the Fontainebleau, you're crushing it, you're growing, and all of a sudden you end up on the other side of the world. Yeah. How did you get to Hong Kong? Yeah. So it, again, very interesting how things happen, right? Um, at the moment uh, when I was, you know, I'd been there four and a half years. I'd grown a lot. I ended up, you know, working in a hotel manager role uh, that basically liaised with all the executive committee and was more of an operative role. Um, I was having a blast. I was really enjoying it. Um, but there was one thing that I was struggling with, which was that, you know, by then I had, I had a young child and, um, you know, I, I struggled with going back to the point of you are who you are as a hotel and as a concept, I struggled with the, the idea that, you know, we would have this hotel that was family friendly and that on the picture of the hotel, like when you opened up the website, there was a bellman that was carrying two kids on a bell cart through the lobby and then on a Monday morning, I would have to be talking to guests, apologizing why their 14, 15 year old daughter would walk in through the lobby and they would see the madness of Fountain Bluet on a Sunday night. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, and I struggled with that because I, I personally said, you know, how can I really believe in that if I don't believe in that myself? Right. And so that's when I said, it, it turned into a bigger picture about Miami. Is this the right place? Am I really in the right place now that my son is growing up and, you know, I have to start figuring out school soon and all. So my wife and I had this very conscious decision. Okay, now let's start thinking of what's next. And almost around the same time, I met somebody that was a consultant building a project in Miami from Hong Kong. And, um, you know, I gave them a tour of the hotel um, and uh, I was the manager on duty and somebody walks into the hotel and says, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in getting a tour of the hotel. Is there somebody that can help me? And I said, I can help you. It's a Saturday. And, you know, it's like 11 a.m. And so we end up go doing a full tour of the hotel. It was this tall British gentleman. Um, and he kept asking all these very, very deeply related questions to the hospitality industry. Um, you know, I was trying my best to answer them without giving too much away. You know, we walk into the restaurants and we walked into the bars and we walked into every space. Um, and at the end, he just hands me a card and he says, hey, what's your name? My name is David. I give him my card and he says, I'll be in touch with you. And that's kind of where it ends. And um, a few days later, I get a note saying, hey, I'm looking for somebody like you to um, to open our hotel in Miami. We're going to open this big development in Brickle. Uh, it's going to take a few years, but in the meantime, I'm looking to send somebody to Hong Kong for a few years, work over there, and then come back and instill the culture of what we do in Hong Kong and Asia here in Miami. Are you up for it? And uh, so we, we uh, you know, I said, uh, I'm always open to a conversation. And I made that phone call to Jessica again and said, hey, we're moving to Hong Kong. <laughs> it wasn't even a question, you know, it was this time. It was like, we're moving to Hong Kong. Um, and her answer, as always, is let's do it. Let's go. And so uh, we had further conversations. And a few weeks later, I was, you know, talking to, to the people of Found Blue, just letting them know that, that I'd received this opportunity. And, um, you know, the other thing in my career, fortunately, every, every time I've had to have that conversation, um, you know, every time they've, they've turned around and said, you have to do this. There's no way you can't do this. Right. And so, um, here I was packing my stuff and, and heading to Hong Kong with, uh, you know, my son, a two-year-old boy and, and my wife, yeah, six months pregnant with it, with our second one. And so off we were going to Hong Kong. That's incredible because 
you know, there's, there's times in life where it's just, it just meant to happen. And if you hadn't given that to her, and if you had been taking care of something else, you never would have met this gentleman. And from the description, it sounds like he was the CEO or CEO of Swire, right? I think I met him. Brian, was that his name? Brian, Brian Williams. That's right. Brian Williams. I met him briefly. Great gentleman. I could see he's a great recruiter. Right? Yeah. I remember yeah. talking to him too. Yeah. Uh, when I had, when our paths crossed. That's and right. so you were in Hong Kong, but I want to hear about Hong Kong. What is that like? Because yeah, you traveled around the US, you were in South France, but now you have family and you end up really in a place where you, it's a different yeah. world. So completely different world, you know? And, you know, I think uh, I always said like Hong Kong is like Asia light because you've got such a blend of the European culture and the Western culture. So mm -hmm. uh, you have many things that are still very familiar, right? Um, but others that are completely foreign to you. And so um, having lived in New York helped as well. Um, because of the big, big city, but, um, you know, New, uh, Hong Kong is, is, is a beast of its own. You know, I think, uh, we were very lucky. We lived in, um, on a beautiful Island that was, you know, off the shore of Hong Kong called discovery Bay, very residential, heavy expats. And so we had people from all nice. over the world living there. You know, I, I used to say, you know, the difference between the expat that lives in New York city and the expat that lives in Hong Kong, you know, a lot of the times there are many first time expats or first time people that go and live in a big city in New York. You know, I, I moved from Michigan to New York. I moved from, you know, from Columbia to New York to, you know, try my luck. And uh, whereas in, in Hong Kong, you just had this more sophisticated expat culture where they say, oh yeah, I lived in Dublin. And then I lived in, in London for a few years. And then I lived in, in Cape town and now I live in Hong Kong, you know, so they'd kind of traveled and been more, you know, through more cities in general, I'd seen that and experienced that. Um, and the, and just the group of people really were from all over the world. And so that was living there. Um, and then I, I commuted to about 40 minutes where I would get on a ferry and then I would have to get on the train. And so it was, you know, true city life. Um, but we were tucked in, tucked away on the, on the, on the East side of Hong Kong, of Hong Kong Island on this beautiful, uh, area called Taikushing, which was owned and, and built and developed by Swire. Um, and, um, you know, they had a big, big development similar to what Brickell city center is now, um, uh, but with much more residential around it. Um, and they built the same model that you see in Brickell city center on that side of Hong Kong. And, uh, in that development was East Hong Kong, which is where I worked, um, and where I learned everything about the brand. Right. And that's so, so I, I, I was the hotel manager there. Um, I also had the opportunity to experience all the other hotels that Swire had opened. Um, you know, from the house collection and upper house and opposite house in Beijing. And I was part of the opening of the, uh, of the, um, um, the, uh, the, the property in Chengdu as well, the temple house. Um, so I was able to really get a really deep kind of and broad knowledge of what the brand was all about. And Swire, you know, was, was an incredible, is an incredible company in Hong Kong. You know, it's one of the founding, you know, companies of, of when Hong Kong was, mm -hmm. um, you know, so. It, it was a really incredible experience to be able to work for these people and then to come and bring their project to, to, to Miami as well. Yeah. Just for my own curiosity, you know, in my head, your hotel manager, you're number one, number two guy in the hotel Yeah, is most of the people that you're working with locals or is it all expats or like, what's the mix? No. So it, it, it's about 80, 20, 80% uh, of the people are locals, even at the management level. Um, so sitting around the table, I had, you know, two, three people that were guaylos, what, what they call guaylos, which are expats. And so, um, and, uh, and, and I was one of those three. And then the, the large majority of the management staff was, was from, 
Hong Kong specifically. So when you're sitting in an exec meeting, like I'm just picturing myself sitting at these big hotels. Yeah. Are you, is it in English? Is it in Chinese? In like what is happening in English? No, no, it's in English. It's in English. But what's interesting is it's in English and then you have lots of side conversations in Cantonese, right? And so, you know, at, at, and at first they don't, they don't, it's not that they don't care. They just don't realize that they're doing it, right? And then they look at you and it's kind of awkward. And then they're like, okay, let's, let's change it up. And then with time, you start understanding some of the things that they're saying. Um, and, and, you know, I was fortunate that I was able to pick it up fairly quickly and, and, and pretty, pretty well, um, where they felt comfortable, you know, giving these side comments around me. I could never probably, you know, outside of saying, Hey, this needs a paint job and, uh, yeah. how are you? And I'll have two beers and, you know, the very basic things to make you laugh. Like I'm a, you know, crazy white boy, this type, <laughs> you know, the, the, the things that you say to make them laugh, you know, um, they, they, but they, at least they felt much more comfortable with me speaking the language. But what's funny, you know, um, I remember my first executive committee in, in Hong Kong. And, um, you know, the first thing I do is, you know, you know coming from, from the U S but being a, a pretty kind of, uh, a, a very extroverted Latino and, you know, I'm coming out and I'm like, Oh, so who wants to start the morning meeting today? Who wants to, you know, who would like to, uh, tell us how their weekend went and what's going on. And, silence <laughs> one word and so here i am looking at all these people i'm like this, this is my executive committee you know and nobody and everybody looks at me and like nobody wants to start you know and then and then you know later my gm you know she it's a female hong kong uh, woman and she says to me david you need to ease into these people you know you can't just expect them to be on a platform from day one when they don't know you right this is not this is not the us this is not definitely not latin america you know, like a bull in a china shop, really, you know. And so the next day I stayed super quiet and it all flowed much better. And every day, you know, I started learning. But, you know, those are the type of things that you learn when you go to a, such a different culture. You know? No, I'm I'm glad you share that with me because to me in my head, it seems like it would be just like a, like a kind of like a movie, right? Like you're walking into a place that you know no one, you don't know the language. They're all, who's this guy? But I guess it's like any new job that you walk into, right? That's so, right. Right. but then you come back to Miami, which is where our paths crossed. Um, right. So you're in Hong Kong. Did you? Was the goal always coming back to Miami? The goal was, yeah. And so we, uh, you know, we we ended up uh, coming to an agreement that I'd spend a year. I ended up spending a year and a half in Hong Kong, and the idea was to return and to open East Miami for the brand. And in fact, I was the number one employee for East Miami, and I was doing a lot of the development along with a with a corporate team, the corporate wire team in Hong Kong while we were. Uh, building in Miami. And so I flew back and forth Miami, Hong Kong a few times during the development to see the construction site progress to assist with some of the development decisions, uh, which was another incredible, incredible experience and something that I would highly suggest for anyone that can get involved in something like that uh, to do so. Right. And uh, it's helped me in my career tremendously later. Um, but yeah, getting that, that, that opportunity to work with the architects and the construction company and to understand what a different side of the business that is, um, while you're still putting your touches as an operator was, was incredible. And I remember walking with you and I always wanted to thank you because as I was starting, I had a staffing for listeners, I had a staffing and recruiting company that we built and sold, but David got me into the East and I remember it was like a long-term thing because we met as the building was even built. And so it was just kind of like getting a tour and I would come by every once in a while. And I still have pictures. I have to send you some of you showing me around awesome. uh, this project that is a mega project. So listeners, this is like Miami, 
now is taking off big time, but this was like the first mega project of multiple skyscrapers, gigantic mall in the heart of downtown that really no one went to. It's true. They had some restaurants, things like that, but this was the project that started bringing people and making it a place that you could live, work, play. And David was the person leading it or as like the, as the face on, on the streets. So I always wanted to thank you for that. Well, it's um, my pleasure. I'm yeah. glad it passed together, you know? Yeah. And so when you're doing that, you know, that's, that's different than just like opening a hotel. This is ground up and representing the Swire brand, which also had the Mandarin Oriental down the street, that's but right. you guys weren't really working hand in hand from what I saw. What was that experience like for you being number one and growing this? Yeah. You know, it was, it was, a, it was a great experience. It was, um, a culture clash, you know, as you're bringing uh, some, a very kind of serious and, and different offering to the market with these mega developments. And so when people are looking at this construction site, they have no idea what's about to hit mm-hmm. them. Right? So, and where you have to explain, Hey, this is, this is what's happening and this is how we're going to do it. And on top of it, inside the hotel, we have this really cool concept called, uh, you know, these, these um, service departments that are very popular in Asia and, you know, people use them all the time, but people have no idea what that is. And so you're trying to sell this, you know, and, and that it's a business hotel, but it's a ho- business hotel with tons of lifestyle attached to it. And we're working on these funky activations that not a lot of people are doing. You know, we were doing some things that, you know, outside of the standard in Miami, you know, we were, Edition was starting to pop up with, with, with some of their concepts. There wasn't a lot of like really crazy activation happening and, you know, graffitis on walls and, Things that you know now it's kind of the norm, right? In hospitality, but we were doing some things I think that were a bit a bit on the edge, um, and and we've done them well in Asia, and so we were coming in with this new concept. Um, and and the other thing was we were kind of redefining this neighborhood, right? Like you said, you would walk down the street and all you would see would be a bunch of suits, you know, and uh, uh, and that was it, you know. And they'd be out for lunch, and then they'd be back in their cubicles uh, for for the next few hours, and back out for 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 the you know for drinks at the end of the night. Um, and so it was, it was a great experience to be able to transform all of that and to see Brickle City Center come to life and, and, and really all the concepts we put within with Sugar at the top and then Quinto with, in collaboration with, with this incredible restaurant group from Uruguay of all places. And mm-hmm. yeah, some really unique and special experiences that we went through. Yeah, and, and I think there too, um, I started noticing your style change, right? Is that kind of where your style of leadership change almost like... Yeah. Yeah, I, I want to talk about that as we maybe get towards the end. But did you feel that too? Because you were a senior leader, but you started speaking more from the heart and like putting things out there about finding like your passion. And so, at least if you don't follow David on LinkedIn, make sure you do because he's one of the most motivational people on there. Is that really something that you noticed while you were working at Swire? Yeah, it it, it was. You know, I think uh, what happened was. I, I grew a voice for sure. And I worked for a brand that allowed for that voice to come out a lot more, um, you know, even from the way, way we dressed and the way we, we kind of hung out in meetings. I remember going to the, to the, uh, you know, all the hospitality summits and the hospitality meetings in Miami and, you know, I'd be in jeans and a shirt and, and everybody would be, what is this guy doing? You know? And I, and, uh, and, and we were okay with that because that's what we did in Hong Kong and that's what we thought was right. And, and slowly, you know, we started transforming the, the, the market, you know, and other people started, I remember the first time I, I, I saw the GM at the four seasons without a tie and without a suit. And I said, what is going on here? You know? And, yeah. and, uh, and, th- and that's cool, you know, to be able to help change that, that, that side of the industry a little bit too. 
That's awesome. So you're doing a great job there. And then I always talk about this. You go and work for a company that I interviewed with twice and couldn't get into uh, with the four <laughs> seasons. So yeah. how did that transition happen? Well, it's funny because I'd interviewed for that company twice before that and I didn't get in either. So, you know, it kind of leaves a chip on your shoulder, as you know, you know, and so um, what, what happened was this is a, another important lesson that I learned. You know, I was already much more active on LinkedIn than, than a lot of people. Uh, mainly for not so much content creation that came afterwards, but it, it was mainly for networking. And I've always been a good networker. I've always been a person that we meet. And then 10 minutes later, you'll have some an email from me saying, hey, thank you. And um, I really appreciate your time. Here's my information. If I can ever do anything for you, here you go. Right. And I've always done that. And uh, so I end up um, uh, getting a call uh, as I, I just, you know, I, I, we open the hotel and I get the call and I'm the GM of the hotel at the moment and everything's great, you know, and, uh, and I get a call from a headhunter, uh, not even a call. I get a message on LinkedIn. And uh, for some reason I say, Hey, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to just reach out to her and say, Hey, why not? Let's, let's see what's going on. And so um, I get, I get this note and, and it was for the Hoxton in New York city and the Hoxton, is is very cool art driven concept similar to Soho House small boutique and it was their first property in the U.S. and they were looking for somebody that could bring culture from a different part of the world into the U.S. kind of like what I did with Swire um, and I said listen it sounds sounds exciting let me let me give that a shot and let's let's go have a conversation and so I have the conversation with the recruiter and then with the company and I interview and I fly up to New York and when I fly up to New York it very quickly hits me. I don't want to live in New York again, right? I, I kind of relive my experience. I say, yeah. I'm absolutely fine in Miami where I am, but I don't want to live in New York. And flashbacks, so flashbacks. Yeah, yeah, exactly, right? And so I call, but I call the recruiter and I say, hey, I am so sorry, but I cannot take this job. And she said, what do you mean? Everybody loved you. Everybody wanted you, was so excited that you joined. And I said, well, what would you rather me do? Call you right now and say, I'm not going to take the job or three months down the road, say, hey, this is not for me. It's not going to work or that I'm not doing a good job. Um, and so she said, well, what would it take for you to leave your current role? And I said, you know what? Honestly, the only thing that would really get me out of here right now is something like Four Seasons. And that was what I said. And so what I didn't realize was that this lady, recruiter on LinkedIn, had been a GM with Four Seasons and had a 25-year career with Four Seasons. And then she ended up leaving Four Seasons to become a recruiter because she married another GM. Mm -hmm. And so that left and she was, you know, at the end, now she's a great friend and we've been very much in touch because literally three days after we spoke, she said, Hey, I've got four seasons for you. Are you interested? And at the moment she said, it's either San Francisco or Hawaii. What do you think? And uh, I turned to Jessica right then and there. And I said, we're moving to Hawaii. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and uh, she started laughing, of course, because she by then knew who I was and how I worked and what I was all about. And so she, uh, yeah, and then soon enough, you know, we were packing our bags and my, my, my wife was again pregnant um, with our daughter and we're moving across uh, the ocean and heading over to Hawaii. Man, that's incredible. Like if you just, you could have just said it's not for me and, you know, see, I have a good day, but you just drop that in. Yeah. Again, change the course of your life and yep. where you're going. So you land in Hawaii. My brother loves Hawaii. I haven't been yet. He he wants to move there, but he lives in New York City. So, right? How is it living in Hawaii? 
So, you know, there's Hawaii and then there's Lanai where we moved, right? And so uh, it's actually, you say it, Lanai. Um, so Lanai is, a, is a, the smallest of the islands. Um, it's a privately owned island. Larry Ellison owns it. Um, it's got 3,000 inhabitants on the island. And so it's, uh, it's a very unique place. And uh, the, the island is, uh, you know, very remote. There's not a lot going on. There are no, um, there are no uh, uh, street lights on the island. There are absolutely no chains. So there's no Starbucks. There's no McDonald's. That, nothing, nothing like that. Nothing. So, you know, there's one bar, one restaurant, uh, and they're all owned by Larry Ellison, you know. But you have two Four Seasons resorts on the island. Uh, so it's a very unique situation. Um, so, you know, as, as the, I was the resort manager, so I kind of took a step back to join Four Seasons. And as the resort manager, you know, it, basically I, I was in charge of, you know, 30% of the people on the island reported under me. And then the other 30% were either too old uh, or the other 30% were too young to work, you know. And so you basically were employing everyone that could be employed on the island. And, uh, and it, you were entangled in this tiny, tiny web of people, um, you know. And so it was a very interesting change in dynamics coming from these big cities. Uh, and again, you know, you can very easily come in like a bull in a china shop if you're not careful about how you tread, you know. And so um, in the beginning, I've been cautioned and warned and said, hey, you really need to figure out this whole aloha spirit because um, the aloha spirit on the island and my, in, in, in Hawaii is one thing, but on Lanai, it's a whole new ballgame, right? And, uh, and that's what it was. That's crazy. So you were living on the island too? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I lived on the island. I worked on the island. Um, you know, it. Uh, yeah, you were basically on all day. And so what is life like doing that? Uh, life, life there is beautiful because you're so present, you know, and it taught me to appreciate uh, so many things, right? In order for me to get, uh, you know, Whole Foods, for example, because we were fervent Whole Foods, you know, consumers in Miami, I needed to get on a ferry, get on a 40-minute taxi drive, get to the other side of an island, pack all my stuff, get back on the, on the, you know, uh, on the taxi, get back on the ferry and, and, and then get my stuff home. And so it was a whole day trip to be able to get groceries for us, you know? And so little things like that. Uh, um, but on the other side, you know, waking up in the morning on a, on a day off and saying, Hey, what are we going to do today? Well, we're going to go to the beach because that's pretty much all there is to do, you know? So it's either hanging out at home and enjoying nature or going on a hike or going to the beach. And that was it. And so because we had, you know, our, our, our kids were young and my daughter was just born and it was a really great opportunity to be able to spend a lot of time with them and be very present and, and to, and, that, and that's kind of where all my, my, my uh, uh, habits of, of, of journaling and habits of posting more things on, on LinkedIn started because I had a little bit more time and I was able to do those kind of things, you know? And so, I was, uh, that's, that's how it all kind of started happening. That's so cool. You know, it sounds like a, just a kind of a magical place, especially when you're so busy in hotels, like you, we talk about, especially in big cities you could work all day, all night if you wanted. And this sounds like a place where you could disconnect a little bit and, yeah. and recharge. Yeah, when, you, when you were on, you were, it was intense, you know, because the expectations were so high. The average rate was the highest in all of Hawaii. And, um, you know, ownership was intense because they they expected perfection. Why? Because you know the the wallet was was large, right? And so the, for them, it wasn't a problem of of money. It was a problem of just Service, making sure yeah. properly. Yeah, yeah. And so um, it was great to work with people like that because they then raised my bar and my expectation to a whole new level. And that's 
a level that a standard that I still upkeep today, um, albeit in every situation you, you have limited resources and you have things that you can navigate or not, but the expectations now there forever, you know, and that's how I'd like to treat my properties and how I like to treat my guests as well. So, so then you get out of Hawaii or Lanai, right? Was it because you wanted off the island or were they saying yeah, you get an opportunity in Austin, yeah. Texas, which is another great city? Yeah, it was it was more because of my kids. They were starting to get to an age where, you know, we needed to give them a little bit more, um, you know, especially my eldest. You know, he was he was starting to get to an age where he needed more activities and he was big into sports. They didn't have a lot of offerings. And so, um, you know, I raised my hand when when the opportunity in Austin came and I said, hey, I'd love to give this a shot. It gives me an opportunity to go to a city hotel with four seasons. It gives me an opportunity to work for very different ownership group um, and uh, and to try something different. Yeah, it's a cool hotel. I've been there, but very different than when you where you were leaving. Yeah, 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 definitely. Definitely. Did you bring things from Hawaii to that hotel? Where they're like, "Oh, this guy's a tense," or like, "Oh, this is cool." Like, we can no, I think I think they appreciated my style. I, I, you know, I think I brought more things from Miami than I did from Hawaii. Uh, you know, for example, in Hawaii, I struggled really to to wear Aloha shirts, and you know, it was just that it wasn't something that I could really get used to. And so I was, you know, the button down. I still, you know, they called me Mister Miami and actually that name has stuck with me forever, you know, and I've never been able to shake it off. And I think that's fine. Um, but I, you know, um, between my style and I'd get to, I'd get, I got to, to Texas and I said, everybody outside on the street wears jeans. How can it be that we're not wearing jeans here at the Four Seasons? And so I started wearing jeans and I started wearing white pants. And I remember at first, everybody was, was just, like, whoa, the eyes were like this. Not even who is this? What is this? You know, they didn't know what was going on. Um, and uh, and <laughs> and that was, you know, one of the things I changed. Then they appreciated going from, you know, jeans Friday to jeans every day. And uh, and they loved it. And I and I think it kind of gave us a little bit more of, of an edge and it made us a little bit more approachable with with the clientele and and we started doing some things that were a little bit different you know we, we brought in a really cool happy hour um that 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 gave the restaurant that was you know more of a uh you know a special celebration or a special night out right type of restaurant that gave it a little bit more of a of a everyday type of vibe and mm-hmm. be able to bring more locals that that could enjoy on a day, day, daily basis and which was great because that's what austin was becoming at that moment you know it was blowing up with all the tech changes and all the different companies coming into Austin at the time. No, it's a beautiful place. I like that hotel a lot. The location's awesome. Yeah. But now I want to continue on your journey because I want to respect your time here. You get back to becoming a general manager. Yeah. Awesome on your yeah. journey. And you do it yeah. with a new company. How does that happen? They find you or you go find them? Yeah, well, it's I think, uh, you know, in huge part, it was COVID, right? Um, so when when uh, COVID hit, everything dried up. I remember it was right before we were we were about to, you know, have one of the, the largest uh, music festivals that happens in, in, uh, right. in Austin, right? So um, as soon as uh, we found out, everything went dry very, very quickly. And, um, you know, as part of the process of, of downsizing and changing, you know, uh, the, the opportunity for me in Austin was was kind of coming to an end. Um, and, uh, and I was okay with that, actually, you know, surprisingly, I, I was, I was okay with that. And so I went and, um, took, uh, I, I call it my mini sabbatical and I spent, you know, two months uh, driving around the country with my family and being awesome. really, really present. And it was one of the best times in, in our lives as, as a family. Um, but I, I remember writing down a list of, of companies, uh, that I wanted to work with, um, at that time. And so, um, Auberge was was one of the ones on there, and so 
um, through networking and I was being very active on LinkedIn again because I was, you know, I had a lot of time and I was uh, more than anything realizing that like right now is not the time to go and ask for a job, right? Like this is the worst time. Nobody can do that for you. So the the opposite is what I want to do is I want to give people hope. I want to give people faith. I want to, you know, elevate people, help them and, you know, talk through things. And, and, and that was a really, really awesome time for me personally, because even though everybody was struggling and everybody was, um, you know, having a hard time and losing their jobs and getting laid off, I, I don't think we've ever been so united as an industry and so close, you know, and I made yeah. some friends that, you know, now they're all doing amazing and they're all, you know, their businesses are booming and some are consultants, some are back in, in, in hotel companies, some are, you know, starting their own ventures and, and going back to ventures like what they really love to do, you know, like you and, um, and it's awesome to see that, you know, and so, but, but at the time, um, you know, uh, my, my CV had been, uh, my resume had been put on, on the CEO of Auberge's desk twice in one day through two different people. Um, and so, you know, I got a phone call, um, or an email from him saying, Hey, I, your CV hit, hit my desk twice today. What's going on? Who are you? Let's have a chat. Um, and that's how I, I, I started the conversation. And I remember meeting him, uh, the CEO of Auberge, Craig Reed, and we instantly hit it off. Uh, he's Peruvian. I'm Bolivian. He grew up kind of in an international environment in Peru. Uh, we're both huge Manchester United fans. And, you know, we had an instant connection and we spoke on the phone for about an hour. And uh, he said, hey, why don't you come and join us? Um, we don't know where we're going to put you yet but are you open-minded to trying? We've got a few things in Colorado. We're opening in Austin. Uh, you know, the summer is crazy busy for us. Are you open to coming and, and trying some things? And I said, absolutely. You know, and so then, uh, it, you know, the journey with Auberge was very fast, but it was very intense because I opened uh, Commodore Perry in Texas helping out on the 5th of July. Um, and then uh, in, and then I, right after that, I moved to, um, to, uh, uh, Aspen, Colorado and worked at hotel Jerome and took over that hotel a few weeks later when the, when the person that was in charge decided to leave and left me there as the, as the GM. Um, and then finally ending up in Mexico, um, to open Eterio, um, in, in the Riviera Maya, uh, a few months later after that. And so, uh, it was an intense 18, 20 months with them. Um, and I, but I got to live three different, very different properties. Um, and, and it was tons of fun. That's awesome. And so now I want to get to where you are now, because I feel I'm pretty excited to talk to you about this brand and I feel like it almost matches you as a kid, yeah. right? So yeah, very much. Why don't you tell the listeners how you got to where you are now and where, yeah, you're. sure. Um, so, you know, here I was four months prior to the opening of, of this property in Mexico. And I get a, a, a message on Instagram. Um, again, all, always on social media, you know, on Instagram from a friend that I'd worked with to open East Miami. And he'd done all the music creation and all the music curation for, for the program in Miami. And he said, hey, I'm sitting with some friends here in, in, in Ibiza and we've been talking about you. They're looking for a GM. I think you need to have a conversation. And so I'm sitting in Mexico in the middle of pre-opening. And I said, thank you so much for thinking of me, but I'm busy. I'm, I'm in the middle of this, uh, this other project. And he replied back. He said, I think you need to have this conversation. And I said, okay, so what, it, what is it? You know, what are you talking about? And he said, well, it's Six Senses Ibiza. They just opened. They're looking for a GM. Um, things didn't work out for the previous GM, but they're looking for a GM. Um, why don't you just speak to them? 
And I said, okay, what do I have to lose? Let me just have a conversation. So I get on the call. You know, he's talking to me first. He says, I'm going to introduce you to this gentleman. He's the owner of the hotel. He's also the architect that built it. Extremely passionate gentleman, creative. Why don't you have a conversation with him? I said, cool. You know, I knew of Six Senses very well. It was actually one of the other brands on on that yep. list that I'd written a few a few months back. And so, um, so yeah, so I have this conversation with the owner and I immediately tell him, thank you so much. It's very, very flattering. You want to speak to me, but I'm telling you right now, there's no way that I can leave right now. I'm in the middle of an opening. There's no way that this could happen, um, but I'm happy to, you know, speak to you. Maybe I can refer you to somebody that I know that may be the right thing. So, you know, he asked me a few personal questions, talks to me a little bit about, you know, what drives me, my motivation, why I wake up every morning, what's your family like? You know, he doesn't talk to me at all about work, but it's all about me and my family, et cetera. And, uh, you know, I ask him a few questions about the hotel and what what was his vision, why did he do it, and what inspired him. And um, we hit it off, really great conversation. Um, but then I said, thank you. It's been great meeting you again. I'm happy to refer a few people to, um, you know, your way. Um, um, but let me just look through my, my contacts and see what we've got. So, you know, we hang up the phone, uh, don't hear anything. The next day I get a call from the CEO of Six Senses, Neil Jacobs, and, and he says, hey, my phone's been buzzing all day. They're trying, they're all, they're all saying, I need to talk to you. What, you know, what's going on? <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. So I have a conversation and I tell him the exact same thing. And my conversation with him ends up saying, Hey, listen, you, you seem like an incredible fit for our brand. And we're in, in the middle of a crazy expansion. Why don't we keep in touch a few months later down the line, whenever the right time is maybe a year, who knows? know that there's a brand here that that fits your style and we would love to have a conversation that's where we left it um and then about a, a month later you know i'd forgotten about it completely a, a yeah. month where i get another call from this gentleman from neil jacobs and he says listen um the owners keep talking about you they want you on this project they're willing to wait if you're if you're willing to give them what that timeline is going to look like and they're willing to put somebody in in the in between um just to hold the fort while while you're ready to go and, um, and so, you know, thought about it long and hard. Um, and, uh, you know, of course we went through a, a long process of conversation and my wife and I, Jessica and I were saying, this, is this the right move? Is it the right time? Are we doing the right thing? We just went through all of this, you know, it's, it's not an easy conversation. No, it's uh, hard in every regard, right. Um, with schools and with the other company, et cetera. Um, and then, uh, but when we saw what this project was and what it stood for and, what it was doing for the brand as a whole and the opportunities that would come with it. Um, you know, we, we ended up making the move and, and, and making the decision. And so we ended up, of course, waiting through the opening and getting through the opening. And, uh, and then I, I, I made the jump and, and left Auberge. And now I'm incredibly happy and, and fulfilled, I would say, with, with Six Senses because, you know, I kind of feel it all kind of comes full circle. And that, that one conversation I had at the very beginning at the Pierre it really rings true today in saying that, yes, you can find that right company. You know, I think, you know, you've followed me for, for years, Stephen, you've seen what I'm about and I'm very transparent and open in my communication of to what I care about, what I don't care about, what pisses me off, what makes me happy. And, yep. uh, and, and you see that this brand, uh, it really ticks all the boxes from a values perspective for me. And, um, and that is really the most important thing. You know, I love that story and how you tied it back together to that conversation back in New York. And it's for, for listeners, look, Six Senses is a growing brand. Can you explain what that brand is? You know, maybe like the, the 30 or 60 second. Yeah. yeah so, so 
Six Sense is, is, is an Asian-based company uh, born in Thailand. And uh, it was really the first company that really involved uh, the guest in the sustainability journey, you know, and it would measure carbon footprints and it would have several touch points for the guests where they could really help make the world a better place. Taking a shorter shower, uh, avoiding amenities, uh, a really, really um, heavy green program for, for housekeeping. And it was really luxury travel, but very sustainability driven and really intentional. Um, and, and mainly in, in remote locations, you know, in, in Bali and the Maldives and Bhutan and, you know, Oman and all these different locations, mainly Asia driven. Um, but in the last few years, there's been an expansion into Europe, particularly, um, and, uh, and, 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 in, and gr growth more into the luxury market. Um, where, you know, the higher ADRs have been kind of taking over the properties and we've done a lot of renovation in these properties. And, um, you know, so we're really still very, very passionate about sustainability and wellness, our two big pillars. Um, but we also have this this kind of luxury approach now. Um, and then recently in, in the last few years, IHG bought Six Senses. Um, and, and so they've we're now under the IHG umbrella, but we're very fortunate to still have tons of autonomy as a brand to be able to have our own standards, to be able to have our own style, um, and to be able to to um, you know take advantage of what it's like to be in the, in this bigger family while still keeping our identity. I love that, and, and it's it's like I got a little goosebumps in my because I was just talking to my team about sustainability and hospitality and how people are searching for that. And yeah, are you seeing that where people for like first timers are it's resonating with people, and that's why yeah. they're coming and you're growing? Is that what you see? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think people are more conscious um, and I think people are understanding that sustainability isn't just about recycling. Sustainability is about how you interact with the community. It's about how you source. It's about what products you choose and why. Right. It's about, you know, the, the idea of fork to table, farm to table. Uh, you know, for us, is it's a literal thing. We have our own farm where we gather all the vegetables for the property and our, our guests can go and harvest those and then come back and enjoy them themselves. We have, you know, very, very intimate relationships with fishermen that come and provide us the product for us and specifically for us. Um, it, it's a very different way of life, you know. And, uh, you know, I tell my teams in orientation when they start, I say, you know, if you're the type of person that walks down the street and there's a piece of trash on the floor and you don't pick it up, then you don't belong here. You shouldn't be here, right? Because it's a way of life. And, and you truly believe in it. And any opportunity you have to to recycle, to reuse, or or even to educate somebody on that, uh, then you do it, right? Like we don't turn lights off because we want to save money. We turn lights off because we know that it reduces our carbon footprint, you know, and that's that's just who we are. And and, and that's how we, we think of everything, you know, in all of our contracts with third parties, every single purchasing contract, there's a sustainability clause. And if they're not able to abide by that, then they can't work with us, right? Uh, we don't have any single-use plastic around the property. Um, and it's a lot of work and it's a lot of money, but it's something mm -hmm. that we're so fervent and, and passionate about that, that um, you know, it, it, like I said, it's a way of life. Oh, I love it. And it's it's hit me hard, too, because, you know, I saw it here in Miami. and our, I live on Biscayne Bay and there's a giant fish kill, all these dead fish. It's like, what can you do? And he's like, ah, oh, it's nothing. But then I started a coffee company and 10% of that coffee goes to help save the bay, 10% of sales, right? So yes. I think more and more people can jump into this. And I love that we're talking about it because I just see it getting bigger and bigger out there. 
Yeah, no, definitely. And I think, you know, the ownership groups that are, you know, looking for products and, and for new brands to align to, uh, they look for the same thing, right? They they want more than just a money-making machine. They want, you know, in, intention and they want, you know, purity of intention, I think. Yeah, I love it. So, you know, I want to talk to you one last question. You've been all around the world, truly. You've seen all major cities. You have a fantastic family. And shout out to Jessica again for, for being there with David the whole time. Uh, but if you were to go back and young David was starting at the south of France today and you had the chance to talk to him as if he was on your team, what advice would you give young David at that bar in the south of France? I would say, you know, be serious, but don't take yourself too seriously, I think is the thing that I would say. I was always trying to prove to people that I knew what I was doing. Mm. Um, and many times by trying to do that, I was trying too hard. And, you know, my ambition sometimes got the best of me because of that, because I was always trying to prove. And so I think it's trusting the process um, that things will, will come and you just have to trust the process and enjoy the process. Because I look, I look back and in many, in many of the steps of my career, I was, grinding so hard and I was trying to be so ambitious to get to the next level, just to get to the next level, that I didn't really enjoy those moments. And as my career progressed, I started enjoying them more and more and more. Um, and, and that's when things really came, fell into place uh, and I didn't force them into place. So I would say, yeah, trust the process and, and, and don't, don't always try to be, you know, the one that knows it all. It's impossible to be that person. Well, I think that's a great place to end our conversation. David, I'm very grateful uh, for you spending your time with me. I know how busy you are. Um, <laughs> so pleasure. thank you very much. And thank you, Steve, for, for all you're doing for us. You know, and, and you know, one of the things that one of my biggest missions is to make people realize that being a hotel G GM, a general manager, is a fun job. And it's a great way of life. And uh, every step up to that point is just as fun, you know, and so um, by you being able to showcase this with all the other amazing people in the industry, I think uh, you're you're helping me with that mission too. I'm happy to be a part of that. And anytime you need any help, I'm here for you, man. Likewise, man. Thank you so much. I'll see you in Ibiza. Yes, we'll be there. This podcast is brought to you by Biscayne Coffee. Biscayne Coffee was founded with a giving spirit and a big idea to enjoy delicious coffee roasted in Miami while helping save Biscayne Bay and the animals that live there. As a former food and beverage director, I can assure you these are some of the best quality beans on the planet. 10% of every coffee sold is donated to nonprofits to help preserve Biscayne Bay for all to enjoy. Visit BiscayneCoffee.com today and use promo code MENTOR at checkout to save 10% on your first order. Drink good coffee and create a good outcome.